Revelation chapter 14. We're going to start in verse 6. And, and uh, what we're doing now in the book of Revelation is, is seeing God give us a bunch of snapshots of different things. And it's kind of like if, if I was to come over to your house and we were talking and suddenly off over on the buffet or maybe on the wall, there's a bunch of, bunch of pictures. And you say, hey, Pastor, come on over. I want to I show you something. And we, we stand before these pictures that you have at your house and you begin to show me snapshots. It might be things from way back in the past. I've been to some of your houses and I look at your pictures and it doesn't even look like you. I mean, that, that hair still has color. Uh, or even you have hair. I mean, it's just, it's just, you know, but you're showing me the past. You're showing me that snapshot. Maybe there's things more recent, like almost a current day thing. Maybe it's you and some grandkids or you and you just caught the big fish at the beach. And, and, then, uh, and then maybe you'll show me another snapshot. And it might be, it might be your, your grandchild who's, who's, who's grown up and just got married. And there's that future ahead of him. You can just see that bright future. And so you're showing me these snapshots of things past, present, and possibly future. And, that's really what Jesus is showing us today in Revelation. He's going to show us some snapshots. And the ones that we're looking at today, in fact, are kind of a past, present, future uh, look to them. And so let's look together at Revelation chapter 14, starting in verse 6. And he's going to give us three snapshots. Each of them is presented by this angel, uh, a different angel, as we see. Verse 6 starts like this. Then I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on earth, to every nation and tribe and language and people. And he said with a loud voice, Fear God and give Him glory, because the hour of His judgment has come, and worship Him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. So here this angel comes forth, and it says it's an eternal gospel ever since the beginning. After Adam and Eve sinned, this great eternal gospel, this which means good news, good news about Jesus, wherein even though we're creatures who have failed, the good news is God, who does not fail, orchestrated a plan and facilitated and accomplished through Jesus Christ a plan to save you and me, not by anything that we have done, but by everything Jesus did by giving himself on the cross. That's the eternal gospel, the good news, that God sets us free from our sin and pulls us into relationship with him. And it says this angel goes and proclaims this gospel that's not just for Americans. It's not just for white people. It's not just for Jewish people. It's for all nations, all tribes, all tongues, all everywhere that anybody on the earth who would put their eyes on Jesus and receive that good news would be saved. And so this picture of, is what God has been doing from the beginning of time in bringing this eternal gospel to people all over the world. It somehow made it here to Johnston County. Amen. Thank goodness it's an eternal gospel that has worldwide ramifications. Otherwise, it would just be stuck in Jerusalem back in the year 33 A.D. But instead, it's 2016, and you and I can sit here today because through this whole snapshot of the past, this eternal gospel has been going out to proclaim Jesus Christ having died and saved us from our sins. It goes on in verse 8 and says this, another angel. This is the next snapshot. A second angel followed, saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She who made all nations drink the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. 
So the first angel was given the snapshot of the past. Here's the eternal gospel. It's been proclaimed, but you better hurry because the hour of judgment has come. It's as if God's saying, we're almost there. This is your last chance. And then we get to this second snapshot, this angel who goes out and says, hey, fallen, fallen is Babylon. Now, Babylon and throughout Scripture, and particularly in the book of Revelation, is representative of Satan's kingdom, which has entrapped all the nations of the world who have rebelled against Jesus. If you just want to think of whatever's evil, lump that into Babylon, and it's all against Jesus. And this system of Babylon, the system of Satan, it has gone out and it has enticed all the nations of the world, all the peoples on earth for for all time, and ensnared them into wickedness. That means at one time, at least, you and I also had shared in the sin of Babylon. Now, here it says that, that it had made all the nations drink the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. And you might say, well, I haven't fallen into sexually immoral sin. Maybe you have. But as we talked about last week, spiritually, God often uses sexual immorality or adultery or prostitution as a symbol, not just of maybe something physical, but something spiritual. So you might in this physical say, well, I've never cheated on my wife. But spiritually, we all cheated on Jesus. We have all been perverted in that we have given up truth and we've given up following him and we've gone off and wandered away. And that was because Babylon had us to drink the wine, the cup of her sexual immorality. We've all taken of it. And so this eternal gospel came, but now Jesus has said, that's it. This is it. It's done. Fallen, fallen is Babylon. This whole system that all peoples have at one point followed It's done. It's finished. And we'll get into more of what that looks like as that Babylon sinks down. That gets later in the book of Revelation. We'll get into more detail about that. But now the next snapshot. This is after everything's fallen apart. Jesus has conquered. Babylon is done. And we get into verse 9. The next snapshot says, And another angel, a third, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he also will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger. So let's just stop there for a moment. We talked about last week how there may be a mark physically put on people's heads that say they are following the beast, but it's probably for sure that spiritually we are marked out for the beast. If we're not with Jesus, that means we're with the beast. And that said that anybody who has that mark, and I'm going to take that in the spiritual sense, who is not with Jesus, anybody who is with Satan, anybody who has rejected Jesus, it says that they undergo that. That they have also now been force-fed the wine of God's wrath. That God bringing his ultimate punishment on his enemies is a sure thing for anybody who's not with Jesus. So those who bear the mark of the beast will therefore drink the wine of God's wrath. They don't get a choice. It's not like there's a menu and they say, hmm, I don't want the wine of wrath today. I'd rather just have a soda, you know, something more pleasurable. No, 
If you are not with Jesus, this says that God will pry open your jaws and force feed you the wine of his wrath. Now, it's not just a little taste. This says his wrath will be in its fullest strength. That you will be completely under the punishment of God's wrath. And he will force feed that to you. And this is where the gospel is so good. Because all that wrath. Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane and said this, Father, please take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. What was he talking about? He was talking about the cup of suffering under the wrath of the Father. And we know that the Father did not take that cup from him, but rather Jesus went up that hill with a cross on his back, whereby he was nailed in that place. And in that moment, he was crushed under the full strength of God's wrath. He did that so that you and I, when pleading forgiveness from him, might take all of our sin and put it on Jesus. And he suffered the full strength of God's wrath, having drank in the cup of the wine of God's wrath so that we wouldn't have to. But in Revelation now, it says, if you have not said, Jesus took my place, save me, Jesus. If that has not occurred in your heart, then this is what is in store. That instead of Jesus drinking the wine of God's wrath for you, you will drink it. It'll be wrath upon you. This is the for sure snapshot that comes. Well, what does that mean to receive punishment and wrath? It's going to go on and explain that to us a little bit here as we go on. Verse 10, I'll read it over. He also will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger. And he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb of God. This is the type of verse that a lot of people don't like to think about. That there will be a punishment that unbelievers go through that is torment. And what's interesting is it says here that that occurs not away from Jesus, not in some far off place, but it says that that occurs in the presence of the Lamb and of His holy angels. That the wrath that He's bringing when people are being tormented by this fire is actually in Jesus' presence. Now, the reason I want to bring this up is because there is a very false view that has been perpetuated about hell. And it usually looks something like this. Down in hell is a very fiery place where people are undergoing suffering. But the boss of hell, when you look over in that picture, is this red figure with horns and a pointy tail and a pitchfork, right? In that picture, everybody thinks that Satan is the boss in hell, that he's the president there. He's the king over hell. That is not the truth. The king of hell is Jesus. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And hell is his place. Hell is his place to bring wrath upon those who have not accepted the gospel. They have said, we don't want you. And so they're suffering under Jesus' wrath. That is the picture of hell, that Jesus is the boss there. He is the one who has brought torment upon those who would not accept Christ. We have all kinds of weird pictures of hell. I remember, uh, you know, it, we've been bringing in joke style. I remember a joke growing up. Um, and this 
man had gone to hell. And when he got there, he was told by Satan, you've got three choices of where you want to spend eternity. So he went and showed him the first room. And in the first room is this excruciating hot, high heat. I mean, it was awful. I mean, it was just constant burning and pain and suffering. And obviously the guy was, well, let's show me the next room. We got to the next room. He looks in there and it's, it's still pretty hot. I mean, that thermostat was turned up. I mean, people sweating, but it wasn't quite as hot. And instead of just being tormented, they were just doing lots of hard labor. You know, all kinds of work and just sweating. But still, I mean, high heat and lots of labor. Oh, what's, what's the next room? Let me just see the last room. He gets to the last room. And there he sees there's people all over the place. Standing in waist-high manure. And drinking coffee. And this guy's looking at his options. He said, well, this, <laughs> this seems easy. I mean, I don't want the room with all the torture. And I don't want the room where people are just having to have a work camp for forever. And these people over here just stand when we're drinking coffee. I can handle that. I, he says, I, I want room number three. So he goes into room number three. And he just gets comfortable. He gets in there and he gets his cup of coffee. And just as he gets his cup of coffee, the guy in charge of that room blows his whistle and said, all right, five minute breaks over back on your knees. <laughs> all right, leave it to the pastor to tell a dirty joke. But I'm telling you, that's what we do with a lot of hell. We turn it into a joke, and it might be kind of crass. We're like, ha ha! Not understanding that the, the fullness of hell is that it's a reality. Amen. And that there will be people who will suffer there because they have rejected Jesus. Amen. And that they have depended upon themselves or some other lie to say, I don't need him. And this says that people will be there. And that they will have torment there. And it it, it goes on and says this in verse 11. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. And they have no rest day or night. These worshipers of the beast and its image and whoever receives the mark of its name. Uh, Real quick theology here. Um, Advent Christians. One of the basic beliefs of of Advent Christians is that when you go to hell, uh, if somebody goes to hell, that when you go there, Uh, It's an immediate extinction, an annihilation that you're immediately done. Uh, Going on this, they use the words that there is destruction and you're destroyed, as uh, is talked about in the Gospels, that it's like chaff that is burnt by unquenchable fire, that when it go there, it's just done. And and I just need to tell you from a pastoral standpoint, I I don't stand in that line. I'm going to preach this uh, how... How, how I see it. And this says that the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, that they have no rest day or night. These worshipers of the beast and its image and whoever receives the mark of its name. Uh, this is one of the verses that I haven't seen anybody in our denomination be able to, to handle. Um, a lot of folks that I have come into contact with have really come from the Bible and said, this is why I believe what I believe as an Advent Christian. I love that. I love when people can say, here's the Bible and here's what I believe. And I totally respect that. And, 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 and that's good. What I can't handle is a lot of times when people have said, well, I want to believe that people would just be extinct because I just can't believe in a God that would torment somebody forever. Or they'll say, well, my granddaddy thought it and my daddy thought it. And so that's just what I'm going to believe. And that's not a proper place to draw 
any type of doctrine from. And so if you're going to believe something about hell, make sure that the, the scriptures are what you're going off of and believe that. And I'm just kind of presenting kind of both sides today, that in Advent Christian uh, theology that you're destroyed and you're extinct. As I look at this passage, this is just one that I wrestle with where it says that uh, the torment, uh, the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever and they have no rest day or night. Uh, Advent Christians would say that uh, you're not given immorality except in Christ. Apart from him, you have no immorality, but you're mortal and you'll just be done. How can you keep living forever but in hell if you're not in Christ? Um, I struggle with that because if you just turn a couple chapters over in uh, Revelation chapter 20, it says this concerning a particular, uh, a t- particular individual we've already met named the Antichrist or the false prophet. And this makes very clear that this human being uh, perpetuates in the lake of fire. It says in chapter 20, verse 10, And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. And so it's not out of the realm of possibility for a human being to be in that place. And it seems from throughout scriptures, and I'll read another from Daniel chapter 12, where it says, And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And so that's just, that's just where I personally stand on that issue. And I know that was something that uh, you know, we talked about as I came in, and that's, that's where I'm at. And those are just the ones. And I just put that out there because I don't know where you sit, and I want you to be able to say, hey, here's from Scripture where I come from. Whether it's one where somebody is annihilated or whether it's one where somebody for forever is undergoing torment of the fires of hell, this is what I do know without a doubt. You don't want to be there. Okay, uh, from scripture, Jesus makes clear whether he's talking about chaff that's that's burnt up by unquenchable fire or whether there's an ongoing torment day and night where it says they have no rest. That no matter what camp you sit in, when you're coming from scripture, all those passages, Jesus is making the very clear distinction that you do not want to be in that place. The wrath of God is an awful thing. It's full of his anger. It comes at full strength. And if you want to be someplace, make sure it's with Jesus. Make sure it's away from the fires of hell. Make sure it is in His loving care for forever. Because we can joke about it all we want. And there will be jokes and worse jokes than I have. But Jesus always makes clear, it's not a joke. It is, it is awful. And I, I gave my life to save you from there. Because I love you. I love you. But if it comes to it, if you have not repented, that is where you'll go. And he makes very clear to us that that will be the punishment. That will be the wrath that will come upon those who have not confessed the name of Jesus Christ. And so he says that's obviously a very hard thing. And those snapshots are very tough things. But he puts out this great verse in verse 12. Here's a call for the endurance of the saints. Those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. There's such difficult things that are being described in Revelation. There's a couple points now where John just writes a a quick little note to you and a note to me and all believers say, endure. There are going to be hard times. These are hard things to try to digest. But let me tell you, endure. It's worth it. Stay with Jesus. Do what he's told you. Keep your faith because it's all worth it. And so he just wants to remind us to endure. And then finally, in verse 13, he says this. Then I heard a voice from heaven saying, Write this. 
Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors for their deeds follow them. Calling upon endurance, God suddenly gets almost excited and says, hey, 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 don't forget to write this part. Don't forget to write this part. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord. Why? Because from now on, they are going to rest in me. All that they have done for me, all that they've been for me, that is going to be an ongoing glorification of God for forever. It's going to be awesome. And so make sure my people know that they're not going to be lost. They're not going to be cast into hell themselves, that they're not going to be a place of, of where am I? They're going to be with me forever. I with them and them with me. And you get the sense from that little portion that God wants to be with you so badly. He loves you so much and did everything needed by that cross to save you and to pull you to himself. Now, it's said that there's two ways to be with Jesus after that judgment. You can be in his presence in the midst of burning sulfur and fire. Or you can be in his presence in a place of love and rest. You don't have to wonder where you you will be. You'll be with Jesus. I remember the day I was saved. I remember my dad, we'd been watching basketball videos because we're basketball nuts and fanatics. And he was a coach and we were watching how to shoot the basketball. And I remember somehow the conversation went from how to play basketball into hell. And that Jesus saves us from hell. And I remember as my dad went to go put away the basketball videos that I sat on the couch all by myself. And here's here's essentially what I prayed. Jesus I don't want to go to hell. Please save me. And let me tell you, for a five-year-old and for any age, it's kind of a very immature view of salvation. In the sense of saying this, hell looks so awful, I guess I'll take you. You know? That's like if I had told Katie, well... I just don't want to be single, so I guess I'll take you, right? How would that make her feel? Certainly, I didn't want to be single. But boy, to go to a a woman like that and to spend my time, I was going into the relationship because I wanted to be with her. And she with me, hopefully. And yet, sometimes we look at Jesus and we say, I'm just with you because I don't want to be over there. That looks pretty awful. You're the next best choice. Flip that around and say, you know what? Jesus is so awesome. I get to be with him. He's everything. He's glorious. He's beautiful. He's loving. He's compassionate. He helps you. He guides you. He'll never forsake you. He walks with you. That's why. It's not because we don't want to be in a place. It's because we want to be with a person. And because he wants to be with you. And he says now that when I come and get you, I will give you rest. In that passage, 
if you notice, there was two things. It's either you were in a place where it said in the passage, day and night, they have no rest. Or you could be with Jesus and he says, I'll give you rest. Just think of it on those terms. I want rest. I don't want to be lazy, but I want rest. And the great thing about Jesus is this, is the moment that you say, I need him, I love him, look what he's done for me, and I want to respond by just confessing my sin and asking forgiveness and living with Jesus for eternity. And this said that those who die in the Lord, they get rest. But here's the truth of Jesus that is good for you today. That the rest in Jesus isn't just future. If you've been forgiven of your sin then you have no fear of wrath and punishment on you today. And you get to start resting now. You get to start walking in freedom now. You don't have to say, oh man, he's going to punish me. If you have been saved by Jesus, you will never, ever, 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 ever be punished. Not in the future and not in today. If you have been saved by Jesus Christ, you will not be punished. You don't get any of the wrath of God. Does that mean he won't discipline you? No, he will discipline you because he loves you like a father. And he's going to discipline you to grow you towards him. But he's not going to punish you. He doesn't doesn't punish. He disciplines. And so there you have rest because you're not under fear. You have complete and utter confidence that in that judgment day, you will stand with Christ. And so you will have rest for forever, but you also have rest now. You don't need to worry. Now you just get to enjoy doing what he's told you to do. You get to enjoy telling others about Jesus. You get to enjoy using your spiritual gift to teach or be an administrator or to serve and to love. You get to enjoy life, even with its hardships. You get to start resting. God is glorious in that. And so if you were to show me snapshots of your life, Would it be, God save me. And then you show me the next. And now I'm walking in him. And then you'd show me the snapshot of your future and you'd say, and look, that's where I'm going to be. If you go all the way to that first snapshot and you say, Pastor, I don't think I've ever called upon the name of the Lord. I've, I've been churchy. And I've, you know, given money. That's not what God requires. He just says, believe. If your first snapshot doesn't doesn't show, I just believe. Then those other two snapshots look very bad for you. You will be called to the judgment as a part of the wicked. And you will be cast off from that judgment as one of those who Jesus says will be cast into outer darkness. Think about your life right now. If your first snapshot doesn't look like salvation, Jesus says the hour is coming soon. You better, you, you better go to him quickly. And if your snapshot by the glory of God shows a picture of you being saved, then you know what the next snapshot's going to look like? You resting in Him, trusting in Him, walking with Him, enjoying Him now. 
And then your final snapshot will be this. You caught up to your Lord in the air in the twinkling of an eye. Because while I may disagree with Advent Christians on hell, the reason I love Advent Christians is we have this in common, and all true Christians, that one day soon Jesus is coming back again. One day soon He will Advent again, and He will complete what He has started. And we will join Him in the air and He will settle things at the judgment and He will take us in that final snapshot into eternity as His people. Don't go to Jesus just because you don't want to be in hell. Go to Jesus because He he's loves you more than you could ever imagine. He understands everything. He'll work it all out. But trust that He's given us this good word so that you wouldn't fool around. He wants you to rest today and forever in Him. Call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. Father, we thank You for this Word. And while we may have lots of questions and understanding and even misunderstandings about salvation and the future, You've told us very clearly about these things. We pray that we would come to a better understanding. For those things which we do understand, Lord, that apart from You there is no salvation. We pray that that truth of the gospel, this eternal gospel, the good news of Jesus, would so change us. Lord, that the miraculous work of your Holy Spirit regenerates us into a new person would be accomplished even today. I thank you for your mercy, your graciousness, your steadfast love, your There's nothing that we could do, Lord, to cause you to not love us. And so we thank you for giving us that rest today. We we call upon your name. We ask that you continue to help us each and every day then to love others as we love ourselves. And above all, to love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We pray that you give us endurance. We pray with that endurance that we'd be going to our family, friends, neighbors, and even strangers, Lord even people that we don't get along with, even people that we politically or lifestyle-wise, we are directly opposites. And yet, because you love them, then we also love them. Help us to go to them and share the good news of Jesus Christ that they too might be saved and saved from the coming wrath. We pray, Lord, that you would continue to guide us as a church. I thank you for just what you're doing in our midst. It's evidence of 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 your goodness to us. And so, Lord, help us to submit. We pray these things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.